Hi guys, Rob here, podcast editor for Everymind. This week, founder Paul speaks to Amanda Jane O'Hare, founder of Strong Mama Moves. Their conversation included pregnancy, fitness, growing up in a challenging home, and so much more. If you like this episode, don't forget to share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. If you want to find out more about the great work that Everymind does, visit everymindatwork.com. Enjoy the show. So Amanda, welcome to the Everymind podcast. How are you? Thank you. I'm really good. I'm a, a bit of a play toy at the moment, but other than that. <laughs> yes, obviously, if people are listening to this, Amanda's daughter is, is behind her, tagging on her hair a minute ago. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're very, I mean, you're going to be, I don't know how you do it. I wouldn't be able to do it with my, my kids in the same room. So props to you for, for still being here. But how have you been? How has lockdown been? Um, I, I would say same as everyone else and that it's been ups and downs, but I've appreciated a lot of it because it's before lockdown actually happened. I remember sort of saying to myself that I would really appreciate some time to just kind of stop so I could work on my own healing and just, you know, cause it's such a, an immersive time to do it alongside work and, you know, doing other bits and pieces is a bit much. So I've essentially been given six months to intensively work on my self-development and, and into my business. So I've faced plenty of challenges being um, a single mom, single mom of a toddler. Um, but yeah, it's also allowed me that time to just really soak her up as well. So I'm half like, ah. And the other half, like, really intensely grateful for being essentially given time. Nice. Yeah, no, I think a lot of people can relate to that as well, can't they? Of, of almost being forced to slow down and appreciate different things that maybe we didn't appreciate as much as, as we did before all of this. But if you don't mind, Amanda, if we can kind of go back as far as you're, you're able to go back and talk a little bit about, I'd say, firstly, what you do now, just so we kind of get that out there. And then, you know, kind of how you got to, to where you are today. Okay, so now I'm essentially starting over again um, from having to leave my my um, corporate life, I guess, um, and become a mum. So I was a single mum from pregnancy um, and I moved from London, so working in the financial district in London, back up to sunny Aberdeen. So it's a, nice. it's a change in pace and things, but um, I'm... I'm pulling everything online at the moment I'm working through putting together a course which is essentially a well-being for um well fitness and mental well-being course kind of combined so I believe that to be ultimately well takes a lot of self-reflection and kind of working out what's important to you what triggers you all these different things and taking you know the, the aspects of health and fitness to complement that um, because fitness and nutrition are so often abused instead of used as tools for self-development. Mm. So the diet industry, of course, is worth you know multiple billions, um, and that's not really built on being mentally well. It's kind of on you know perfection. So um, I personally have used fitness to help me cope with my trauma. So I'm putting all of this in a course or several courses and I'm t taking that out into the world. 
that's a really long-winded and complicated explanation. No, honestly, there, that's that? much shorter <laughs> than my story. Trust me. So, um, I mean, if you don't, if you don't mind, you know, I know obviously. When did you know that fitness has almost helped you deal with that trauma that obviously you'd been through? So, I mean, yeah, that's like the tip of the iceberg. So that was me trying to explain the, the what I do um, in terms of my trauma. So uh, it's, it's complex post-traumatic stress disorder that I'm kind of up against and, and healing from. Um, I lost both of my parents to alcohol addictions. So uh, by the time I was 15, uh, my dad went into intensive care, I want to say for the third time. Mm. And um, lost his fight then. Um, so even before, obviously through childhood, it meant I was going through things, didn't really understand yeah. things, but I knew that things weren't normal. Um, and my attendance had dropped sort of towards the end of school. And my guidance teacher, I remember, had said to me, you're going to have to apply for jobs because you're not going to get into university, uh, you know, because you're not going to school. I know it's been hard what we your dad and all, Amanda, but let's face it, it's almost been a year now. Mm. And that just kind of sparked sort of um, the whole perfectionism and overworking me from then. And I did get into uni. I've got a degree, uh, bachelor's in art in uh, fashion design for industry. <laughs> nice. Uh, which I finished because I was like, well, I'm not leaving university without the bit of paper. But it was during that time that to cope with my emotions and the fact that my mum had then started to drink and go down the same path as my dad, I, I didn't know how to cope. So I started running. And it was the only way that I could really get rid of that, that feeling and that frustration that I didn't really know how to deal with because nobody had taught me. And if anything, I'd been kind of told to compartmentalize and pretend that everything was okay. So I used to go out and I used to run for miles and miles. and I would push to a really relentless level, um, which it, it helped me deal with my pain. So, you know, lots of people have different ways, but that was, that was kind of mine. And um, I ended up finding that I preferred being in the gym and going out for a run than I did actually doing, doing my degree. So once I'd finished um, my third year, I'd be trained as a personal trainer and I've been in the fitness industry ever since. Nice. Nice. So there's a, there's a lot there, obviously. I think, you know, obviously, sorry to hear about your parents and how difficult that must have been and even with alcoholism you know you say you lose your dad at 15 I'm sure there was times where you maybe felt like you lost him way before that right because you know with alcoholism it isn't just something that happened to you when you was 15 and then that was it it was probably mm. years of, of dealing with that battle so um you know I've got personal experiences of, of addiction as well what, did, what have you learned from that experience, you know, and again, we're, we're very much advocates and I know the amazing work that you do that almost, you know, trying to turn adversity into something that you push forward with and, you know, and turn that into strength in a way. Um, have you got any personal sort of lessons that you've learned from, from addiction that you can share with others? I think the, the main thing I sort of really feel that as uh as someone that's the, the, you know, the child of alcoholics, the, the most difficult thing I think I find to sort of explain or convey is the fact that, you know, there's such a dichotomy of feelings with it. So of course you've got that feeling of, 
of hurt and rejection and anger but at the same time like you you love these people and I know that you know my my parents were both wonderful and they were in so much pain that 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 was their you know their escape they didn't know how else to cope you know uh mental health wasn't something that was talked about then mm. uh, if anything you know it was you know it's there's still elements of stigma to it now but like massively so in the 80s and 90s so i i just kind of see my parents as these these people that were so hurt and, and didn't know that they could go out and reach for help um I consider it as an extended suicide, really, um, which is what makes it really, really painful. And it can be so easy to pass judgment um, on people that are struggling with addictions. But we're like, we're all people and, and addictions are only stemmed from from hurt, essentially. So with me, it's it's given me that sort of I don't know, I almost learned through that experience what, not what not to do, because that sounds judgy in itself, but I saw what they went through and I thought, well, I want to I deal with this differently. And I'm not going to say it's been perfect. It's not been perfect. I've got my, uh, you know, I dealt with a lot of things through fitness, but I also led, led a very like double life so I remember uh, watching some of your videos um where you were talking about like you know how you would go out and drink a lot or you know do all these sort of self-destructive sort of behaviors because if you don't know what to do with those feelings you know it you find these different ways to do it so my entire adult life has basically been you know, going through these things, doing these things, and then finding a way to understand it so I can do it differently. Mm. And then in my career, helping other people to do, not do those things. <laughs> so like, you know, I've done the stuff so other people don't need to do yeah. it, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course, of course. And I think that's, that's an amazing way of, of looking at it as well you know you know you're trying to give back and you're trying to give back off your own experiences which again is something that we advocate for um in terms of fitness you know do you believe that and again this is a bit of a selfish question right but do you believe that fitness and using fitness to feel better can become very addictive as well yes yeah so i've been all at all ends of the scale and I think this is what's made me so good at my job is the fact that again I've, I've been to the extremes on every you know kind of um, place with the eating with the exercise um, the extreme pushing so over exercising or pushing it to too hard a level um, crazy diets, all these sort of things. Like I did this all in the sort of learning process when I didn't really know what to do. And initially when I was still at university, um, I'd actually essentially developed disordered eating because I dropped all this weight all of a sudden and my mom had got concerned. So I felt like this was a way that maybe I could use that to stop her drinking. Um, and I remember saying to her at one point, well, fine, I'm not going to eat this meal if you're going to drink. And she cracked the bottle of wine open in front of me and started to drink it. And I was just like, 
it like that hurt but what it also did for me was made me realize that you know that's not the way to go like don't do that don't do that <laughs> don't do that yeah. um yeah so it backfired me on many ways because it meant that I then had a disordered eating pattern for a very very long time and it didn't change anything and I think sometimes we can use fitness and food as tools for self-destruction and self-punishment instead of using them for self-empowerment and self-love mm. um and it's very very difficult to understand what to do when the media in particular give you such extreme versions and and promote them as normal because they're either paid or well i mean they don't they don't know um i used to have to do quite a lot of collect, uh, corrective work mm. for media because uh, in 2000, sorry, 2014 to 2016, I was the UK PT ambassador for Fitness First UK. Nice. So I used to do a lot of articles for them where I would talk about using fitness for health and for promoting mental well-being instead of using it to to diet or to over-exercise. Mm, yeah, and I think you said that in the original sort of introduction as well, how we're almost striving for that perfectionism when it comes to health and exercise, you know, and it's almost, we're striving to look a certain way. We're striving to be of, you know, if I'm talking about running, I'm striving to run faster, to run longer. And, and we've, we had a, a William on recently who spoke about running for therapy and he, and we've also had lots of other people talk about, you know, using it as a tool to just feel better, you know, using mm -hmm. it as that tool to just go out for your run, feel good, use it as a mindful activity rather than always striving for that perfection. Um, do you mind if I ask when was you, how old were you when you lost your mum as well? So that was 2016. So I don't even know how old I am. <laughs> I was 28. I was 28 when I lost my mum. Yeah. So, so. If, we, if you don't mind talking about grief, um, two different ages, you know, I'm guessing similar experiences, but two different sort of experiences, you know, no experience is the same. How, how have you found, you know, personally dealing with grief throughout your life? Like what, what's been the challenges and, and what's kind of helped you deal with those losses? Okay. So as you were saying with the alcoholism earlier on, like, yeah, I mean, I almost feel like I didn't know my dad mm. um, because I didn't know him outside of his um, addiction um but he's who i gained the sort of entrepreneurial spirit from um to cope with dad it was more perfectionism um and it was uh, to be honest both experiences were how do i put it um not distraction i wrote it down in my notes but i left it with ruby hold on <laughs> This is why, this is why I wrote the... This is also just cool, it's also a very good promo for um, the Apple, what are they called? Air, 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 AirPods, is it AirPods? Oh, they're so handy. Like they're one, so they're very noise cancelling, <laughs> so like I can't hear Paw Patrol in the background. Two, you continue talking as you walked out the room. <laughs> yeah, but it also means that I need to remember to mute if I'm ever on a call and I <laughs> yeah. need to go to the loo. <laughs> of course, of course avoidance that's it I mean, good for notes uh, so like there was a lot of avoidance and um with so with dad yeah it was by busying myself or going out or achieving 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 and I think there's 
such a such a focus on hustle culture um, and everything like that. And there's more awareness now with the whole mental health movement that you know hustle isn't necessarily good for you. And I'll go into that in a second. Like why, really why? But with mum, it was a very different experience because you know I was quite. I was very close with my mum and I wasn't like, I moved very far away because I couldn't deal with the addiction again. And I knew that I wanted to do well with my career and London was the place to be if I wanted to do well in, in fitness. And of course I managed to get like a national role doing that. Um, but I used to phone my mum like multiple times a day. So all of a sudden when she ends up in intensive care herself, um, just before that I'd been having real, real problems with my anxiety and it was it was basically down to years of avoidance mm. strategy I had anxiety so bad that it was presenting as asthma so when mum went into intensive care it meant then that I had to learn how to control these anxiety attacks because I couldn't phone my mum mm. so it was it was really it was I went into overdrive that year afterwards so I'd changed gyms I'd left fitness first um I ended up in like a narcissistic relationship, which was really terrible. And part of that I realized was almost purposeful because I wanted to feel pain that wasn't linked to my mom because I couldn't bring her back. So I couldn't control that pain or rationalize it, but I could with a breakup, mm. but it was awful. It was like a self-destruction. So I was working like 60 to 70 hour weeks, but then at the weekend I was going like going home and I was getting really drunk on the weekends. So it was like, I was just not even burning the candle at both ends. I was just setting myself on fire essentially. And I wasn't coping at all because of the nature of kind of the, you know, the addiction and things like that. And it links into the CPTSD. It meant that I had really bad trauma bonds rather than friendships as well. So I felt very lonely in that time and it wasn't a good time for me at all. I was essentially in self-destruct but looking like I was doing really well because I was, you know, in one of the gyms that I was working at, I was the bus busiest female personal trainer in one of the biggest gyms in central London. Um, but I was, I, was, I was breaking down. And what halted that and made me deal with my emotions was when I became pregnant with Ruby. Mm. Yeah, and just on that kind of 60, 70 hour weeks that you were saying, mm. And avoidance, I can relate to the avoidance so much. I'm sure lots of other people listening and watching this can as well. Um, almost the distractions of we don't want to deal with this trauma. We don't want to deal with this, these emotions. I just want to avoid them and distract myself with other things. But that 60 to 70 hour kind of week, like you said, setting yourself on fire. Was there a time when you just broke or, or was it kind of natural that you realized I need to do something about this? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I was going to the doctor and I was like, look, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about this. Uh, like my peak flow rate was affected. So that sort of asthmatic feeling was come back at the end of that year. So the end of 2016, I ended up uh, getting the flu twice in a row. Hmm. And I worked through that as well. Just kept my distance. Um, you know, my body was saying no. And that's why when I fell pregnant, I thought that I had hit adrenal fatigue, mm. but I wasn't, I was pregnant, <laughs> but mm. I was, I was worrying then. Um, and the doctor had basically said to me, he was like, look, you know, Amanda, 
you may not be addicted to alcohol, but this could kill you too. Mm. Because I was pushing so hard, so, so hard. And looking back on it, I'm like, like it blows my mind. Um, and, and the thing is, when you're in that emo much emotional pain, which a lot of people are, you can push physically to an endless level to avoid that pain, but it's dangerous. Mm. Like it's really dangerous yeah. because sometimes the, the, the avoidance, essentially, we're so scared of that pain and the looking inwards and, and feeling that feeling that, you know, we'd much rather burn out yeah. and fall asleep exhausted. And it's just, there's only so long that you can do that. So what was the kind of turning point? And obviously I'm guessing, you know, falling pregnant, that was probably, was that the turning point or was there a series of other things as well? So becoming pregnant because I, I became pregnant and I found out very early, like I'm very in tune with my body. Mm. Um, so I found out with like three and a half weeks pregnant. So before I could even test, um, but it was the first point probably in my life where I was like, right, I have to look after myself now. So I was kind of given no choice, mm. but it was also what kind of triggered that switch in me that made me realize that to be a good parent, I couldn't just look after myself for the sake of Ruby. I had to look after myself for me too, because if I was going to set a good example as a parent, you know, and didn't want her to follow that same sort of route, I had to lead by example. So it was, it, it was the beginning of something major is what it triggered my actual deep healing journey in terms of my practice, but also in my sort of study in human behavior and psychology and stuff as well. So, um, you know, it was, it was huge, but with pregnancy hormones, I had no choice like that grief would just hit me and I just had to work through it. So it was, it was a really, really powerful time. Um, but it also meant that I didn't have any of those unhealthy coping mechanisms. They all had to go. I couldn't overwork. I couldn't go out and drink at the weekend. I couldn't do any of those things that were nonetheless coping mechanisms. So it was, it was traumatic in itself because I had to find not only have these feelings hit me full force but find new ways to cope um so it was brilliant life-changing and obviously like my ruby is my my world and my greatest teacher um but wow like it was heavy stuff <laughs> yeah, and what was what was some of those sort of new coping strategies that you used so it was it was a lot of it was crying out Mm. I think I don't think there is much more powerful way to kind of get healthy than actually fully honoring every single emotion that you have available. If you find that you can't cry or you can't get healthily angry, you need to work out why. Why can't you do those things and how are you going to be able to do that? Because otherwise it's like a you know, a, a pot mm. boiling over, you know, it's, it's going to come out and, you know, emotional leaks aren't fun for anyone. 
Um, so yeah, so I think learning to process all of my emotions in safe and healthy ways is, is probably the most powerful tool coupled with self-reflection. So going in and working out, you know, what's important to you, what hurts you, what makes you feel good. All these things are things that we kind of just let run on autopilot instead of really getting in and going like, who am I? Sounds really like no, so true. floofy, but it's so, so important. And I think that's, that's where the biggest fear sort of seems to stem from. We don't really want to go, well, who, who am I? Because it feels we're so obsessed with narcissism these days that we neglect self-care and self-reflection thinking that it's selfish when it's the only way to be really selfless because it's the only way you can manage your emotions properly. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I relate to that so much. And, and I think it's like you shifting from those, that avoidance and shifting away from, like you say, the coping strategies that are almost like putting a plaster on a sort of, you know, wound and, and in a way moving more towards taking control of those emotions, you know, rather than that almost letting them control you in a way. Um, mm -hmm. And, and that's something that's so super interesting for me, because again, you know, I, I had to do similar with obviously my experiences, but, and, I, and I always talk about my dad's like perfectionism, but also the fact that my dad ran every day, you know, twice a day, he was healthy, he meditated, he read self-help books and all of this. And, and it's almost like you can sustain that for amount of time. But my dad obviously was dealing with something far deeper than, than all of those becomes, you know, plasters for that wound, you know, and, mm -hmm. and there's, that still isn't addressing the problem that my dad was obviously facing. So, you know, it's something that we definitely need to kind of move to. Um, but of course, as you said, it's so difficult, right? Did you, did you go to therapy as well? Or was it like just, just sitting there doing it on your own? I love therapy. So massive, I'm massive on therapy. I've had therapy counselors, coaches. I think it's as a, I mean, I've been a coach for 11 years. I think, you know, you can, you can do a phenomenal amount of stuff on your own. Sure. But you can only really tap into that, that deeper level with that support. And, and that in itself can be quite, you know, quite frightening I think but I'm big on therapy big on counseling um but, but I think an important thing to sort of note with therapy and counseling is it's exactly the same as things like friendships and dating relationships and that you know sometimes you will have to find a counselor or therapist that works with you just because they're qualified doesn't mean you're necessarily going to gel so I think it's not being shy of admitting if someone's not quite a right fit and being able to not quit after one go and being like, oh no, I don't, I don't like that. That didn't work for me. Maybe you just need a different, mm. different therapist. I think it's everything is so individual as our, as our experiences, even though there's, uh, you know, nuances that are, you know, very similar, you know, there's a across the board kind of thing, what we go through and how we cope with things is very different. Um, I'll go into therapy sometimes and I'll go and I'll be like, like I am now, but there has been times where I'll go in and I can't speak mm. and that's okay. So I know that some people that I've spoken to have maybe been nerv nervous about getting counselling or therapy. Like, well, I, 
I'm not ready or I don't think I'll be able to talk. They're not going to expect you to. So you can, you can go into this and say nothing and that's okay. But chances are it will be enough just to go and, yeah. and it'll start to come out and it'll be just such a release. Um, being able to speak to someone that is impartial, you know, that isn't going to tell you how to feel or tell you, oh, no, you're fine or anything like that. Just that space just to say or do whatever you want is, is so powerful in just kind of allowing yourself to decompress. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And like you say, therapy is like dating, right? You know, you have to, you don't just marry the first person you meet or some people do. <laughs> um, and it is that individual, you have to find what works for you. And, and I, I stand by that as well. Um, if you don't mind, can we talk about work life balance? Obviously, you know, now you've gone from that very driven sort of, you know, working in London, sort of working your way up, overworking, like you say, sort of mentality to now, you know, being a single mom at home, running your own business, what kind of tips can you share for work-life balance? So again, I think it's really, it's that self-reflection. I can't, you know, say it enough is almost sitting, like I, you probably see, like I've got all these things on my wall. I do a lot of like mind mapping. Nice. Um, and I think, you know, it's again, very individual. So it's, it's sitting and taking that time and thinking like, what is important? Like life is at the end of the day, very finite. Um, you know, time is so, so precious. So it's thinking, right, you know, again, what makes me happy? What doesn't, do I have enough time to give to the people that matter to me that, you know, help me to fill my cup or am I spending that all at work am I taking the time to do things that help me to be healthy and look after myself do I have the time to sit and do nothing mm. we so often violate our own boundaries by overbooking and feeling like we should fill every single minute of time with stuff where since having Ruby and particularly in the last year or so like if I can do less and less brilliant, like time, time, space to breathe means that the work that you do will be so much more valuable. There'll be so much more clarity to it because you're at a place of peace and calm. Like that's the ultimate luxury mm. worth more. And sometimes we get like tapped into wanting more and more money, but if you don't have the time or the, the people to, you know, spend that with, is it worth it? And I think it's taking that time to kind of really, you know, figure that out. And I do this daily, weekly, monthly, I'm constantly reevaluating. I do rather than smart goals, I'm smarter goals. So evaluate and review. I'm constantly being like, right, is this working for me? Is it not? What can stay? What can go? It's about trying to pull out all the stuff that is just fillers um, mm. and making sure that life is just, you know, as, as enjoyable as possible. If your work isn't enjoyable, you know, this is the perfect time to sort of reconsider going in a different direction. I'm not saying quit your job or, <laughs> you know, but again, these are the sort of things, what is going to maximize your life? 
And I think yeah. using this time is really powerful for that. Yeah, I love that. And it's, it's like you said, it's defining it for yourself. You know, I'm sure you're almost purpose changed obviously after you become a mum, and I'm sure you know earlier on it might have been driven by financial success or exactly. <laughs> and, it, and things change and it is that constant you know defining it for yourself and there's no that one size fits all approach of this is what motivates people to work it's always it's always changing right are you wiping mummy the biggest Thank teacher you. in life is your children, right? As you said. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, they're so unjaded. It's, you know, we get conditioned into different responses and things. So if I'm, if I'm really struggling, if I'm having a stressy time, I, I switch off and I go for a walk with Ruby and I essentially follow her lead, like right down to, you know, what she's doing. I'll get, you know, get down to her level, look at what she's looking at and see why she's getting excited. Start looking at the world through her eyes and be like, Ah. Mm. okay and it has like yeah becoming a mom has changed my life um in so many ways for the better I mean parenting of course in lockdown is hard but you know um yeah I think that's that's the main thing I've done if I get really stressed out it's it's taken the time to kind of be like okay so what what would Ruby do (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I like that. And that's, that's, you know, one of the our folks this month is mindfulness. And that is, that's an example of mindfulness, right? If I'm going to switch off, go for a walk with my, my, my little one, and I'm going to see it through her eyes. Like you say, you know, why do they stare at the same leaf for like <laughs> minutes? Love's leaves. <laughs> and then, that's mindfulness, right? That's you being present right there, right then. And, and I think that that's what I learned with work-life balance. And I think a lot of people, um, can do as well is it it's being kind to your yourself like not judging yourself when I'm all in working not judging myself when I'm motivated to like sit in this room for like you know 10 hours and and that's it but at the same time when I am with my kids like be there with my kids you know don't don't be on my phone don't be emailing don't be don't be doing all that and if I if I do sometimes I don't judge myself right as long as I can reflect and be like Paul you wasn't very good yesterday you know you was on your phone when you should have been should have been with them. I think it is that, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that constant, you know, almost constant beating yourself up all the time, right? Um, yeah. And it is difficult. Amanda, you've, you're, you're amazing. I could, I could chat to you for ages, right? But um, I know I'm conscious of time. So if we just finish off with a couple of questions that we call them like the fire round. I always change the questions <laughs> because some people get thrown on one of them. Um, but do you read a lot of books? yeah yeah so I'm a bit of a book addict yeah (laughs) the first the first question is great so what's the best book that you've read recently feel the fear and do it anyway by Dr Susan Jeffers I've read it like five times it's my go-to and, and I love the, I love the book, right? Cause it's one of my favorite books. And people say, what's the book about? And I just, I just read the title again. Well, how would you explain the book? <laughs> I mean, it is, it's, ex- it's exactly that. It's, uh, it's going back in and sort of, it's really powerful, especially if you listen to the audio book, because when she speaks it to you, you're like, oh yeah, the things that go on in your head where you're like, oh, I should do this, but oh, but I'm too scared. Seriously. Anytime I'm, procrastinating i'm back on that book yeah 100 percent. um what can someone do today to help make them better tomorrow take 10 minutes out just take some time square some time away to just breathe be present and and realize that you know the to-do list it's okay it's still going to be there tomorrow 
Nice. I like that. I like that. And then the final one is what advice would you give to the younger Amanda? <laughs> I always struggle with this one. I know. <laughs> Everyone does. Just be, yeah, be less self-critical. Like you're doing a good job. You're doing a good job. You can criticize your all, yourself all day, but other people can do that and other people will do that. So cut yourself some slack. I love that. Awesome. Amanda, where can people find out a bit more about you? Um, so at the moment, I'm still rebuilding everything a little bit. I do have a website, strongmamamoves, all one word, dot com. Um, and I've got the same on Instagram. And then I'm Amanda O'Hare on LinkedIn. So these are nice. generally the places. Cool. Amazing. And we'll link up to all of that in the show notes, but um, just from me and everyone, thank you so much for, for coming on, sharing your wisdom. Um, and, and I'm inspired today and I'm sure a lot of people will take a lot from this episode too. So I really appreciate you coming on. Oh, thank you for having me, Paul. <laughs> no worries. No worries. And we'll chat soon. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you.